name would be glorified in this place this morning. And Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified in our lives. And so, Lord, we want you to speak to us. We want you to encourage us. We want you to challenge us, perhaps, about how we might play our part more fully in seeing your name glorified, not just in our Jerusalems or our Judeas, but in our Samarias and all the very way to the end of the earth. Amen. I'm going to focus, as I've indicated, a little bit on member care this morning and on how we look after those whom we send out from this place. But before I do that, I actually want to pull out a bit and look at a much broader picture to set the context for what it is that I want to share. If we look through the lens that God looks at the world through, he doesn't say there's this big rock floating off the sun somewhere. But the psalmist reminds us that the whole earth is the Lord's, the world in terms of its physical structure, but also everyone who lives on it, no matter where they might happen to be, whether they're worshipping in Ballyhackamore or in the long way or in Kathmandu. That's the context that God works within. He's He's a global God and therefore as his people, and increasingly easily for us as his people, he wants us to be global Christians, not to be narrow focus, not to be caught up in our own little box, but to have that worldview, and importantly, to have a biblical worldview, so that we look at the events out there, and we look at what's going on, and we look at people whom we send out, and we say, what does God tell us about how we should be thinking, how we should be responding to these particular situations? As a denomination this year, we have, or the General Assembly a number of years ago, agreed that for this particular year, our focus as a whole denomination would be a global one. The General Assembly does have this desire that as a denomination, we would be increasingly fit for purpose, that we would be the church that God wants us to be, and that includes a global element. And so the fit for purpose this theme, the fit for purpose theme this year is that we would be a community of global concern. I had absolutely nothing to do with the picking of the phrase, but whoever did, I think, hit on something really important. Because it could have been really, really easy for that phrase to have said, for us to be fit for purpose, we need to be a community of global activity. We need to be doing lots of stuff. And yet, that isn't actually the model that we see either God the Father or God the Son exhibiting. Yes, they do lots of stuff, but it wasn't the driver. They didn't just do stuff for the sake of doing it, which is what we tend to, the approach we tend to take here in a Western society. We love our to-do lists. We love our tasks. We're very task-oriented. And yet that word concern is key. It's key to ensuring that the tasks that we do are the right tasks, and it's key to ensuring that we're able to keep doing those tasks and don't either get bored with them or tired of them. What's the biblical model? Well, we know that God sent his son. He did something in terms of mission. He sent his son from his home in heaven all the way to earth. But why did he do it? It was because of his concern for God so loved the world that he sent his son. His global concern, his global activity, his global mission, driven by his concern for the world, the earth, and all who live in it. Christ 
when he walked this earth during his three years of ministry, exhibited the Father's same characteristics. He didn't say to his disciples as he looked out in the crowd, right guys, here's the things that we're going to have to do because the people that are coming to me, they're sick physically, emotionally, spiritually, in terms of society. We've got to do something. He said, first and foremost, my heart is breaking. Matthew chapter 9, first part of verse 36. Jesus looked at the crowds and he was filled with compassion. And driven by that compassion, he then said to his disciples, now you guys are going to go and you're going to be the workers in the harvest field. Not the other way around. Compassion first, concern first, heart first. And that in turn then drives the activity that we're involved in. Keeping in mind the Father's heart for the whole world, not just a small area. That concern, though, we can say, we can say there's concern for, for people in all sorts of places, but that concern has to extend not just to the folks who are in the crowd outside of the family of faith, but it also has to extend to those who are in the family of faith that we have sent out in God's name. Again, Jesus says to his disciples in John 13 and verse 35, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Why? Because of the love that you have or show or extend to one another. As a community of faith, it's it's a community of love, it's a community of concern, a community of global concern. And in particular this morning, we're not going to focus on the whole world. We're not going to focus on every single people group. There are years worth of sermon series on on how we might develop our our global concern. But in the, the time that I've got this morning, we want to focus on what that concern might look like, how it might work itself out for two families in particular. One I've already mentioned this morning, David and Pam and Beth McCullough. The other family is Stephen and Laura Coulter, both families sent out from this congregation. For those who are newish to the church and maybe haven't picked this up, David and Pam, as we've said this morning, living and working in Lilongwe, the capital of Malawi, and Stephen and Laura Coulter working in Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal. And I'm going to be very unpresbyterian. As we look at what this concern might look like, I'm going to do it under four titles. Who, or sorry, why? Why do we care? Who's going to do that care? What's that care going to look like? And, and how does that actually show itself? Or how do we approach it? What's our heart attitude going to be? So the first one, why? It is recognized, and and let me say up front, I recognize that and acknowledge and agree with the fact that every single one of us is called to go out of this place after a service and to be witnesses to God the rest of the week in the places that he puts us. Okay? Take that as as understood and take that as as my starting point. We've talked a lot over the last couple of years about our front lines, whether that's the school playground, whether that's the shops, whether that's the office, whether that's the the operating theatre, whatever context you find yourself in Monday to Friday doing life. But the reality is for you, when you are struggling perhaps with an issue in work or where there's issues over health, you've got a close-knit family community around you, whether that's your biological family or whether it's the church family here. As you go further overseas, you leave some of that biological family behind. 
and you leave the community, you leave the church family behind that, that you'd connected with, those folks who, who you've spent time with, who you have grown with spiritually, that you've shared with spiritually, that you've served with spiritually, and suddenly there's a disconnect. And so there is a, a, a difference between what we call member care, the care that we have to show to those who are living overseas, and, and what we might call our normal pastoral care that, that, that's worked out through Crystal, through Edna, through our discipleship groups, for instance, in, in this place. So we can't just say, well, sure, they can do the same stuff over there as we do here. Sure, they can just connect with the discipleship group because it's a different scenario. We don't have the safety tape around us. Or folks overseas don't have that safety tape around them of that community safety in the same way that we do. In many respects, they're walking a long, lonely road, and it can feel like a long, lonely road. And I'm not just saying this from stuff that we've picked up from David and Pam, a conversation that we've had from Stephen and Laura, Caroline and myself, others in this congregation have served overseas, and so we're, we're, we're coming to this with, with first-hand heartfelt experience. The other reason that we need to recognize that member care of those overseas is, is different from pastoral care, and that it needs to be there in, in the forefront of our thinking and in the forefront of our congregational life, is that the folks who go overseas are not actually spiritual giants. So often we put those who go overseas on a pedestal, and, and the, the equivalent of, hey, you know, these guys are amazing, they must be super spiritual, they've answered a call from God, you know, they've got their Christian knickers over their trousers. Okay? I'm not sure, that I'm sure could be, that, that could be edited out. But we do have this tendency, we look, even when we read through the Bible, we look at the spiritual giants and we go, look what they've done, they are amazing. We've got guys like Elijah, if we get the next one up. Those of us who have grown up through Sunday school, we know the story of Elijah. We know that amazing story of how he taunted the prophets of Baal, of how he said to them, you get your God to, to set fire to, to this, this altar. And when they couldn't, he then doused the altar with water and more and more water. And he said, I'm going to get my God to do it. And we think, wow. And sometimes we have the tendency of, of putting our overseas mission personnel on that same pedestal. We know they're working in pagan lands. We know that there's a spiritual battle going on. But we know that they're victorious. And we think, gosh, they're amazing. And they are. But what we rarely do in our Sunday schools is take our children from 1 Kings chapter 18 where, where Elijah has done amazing things. We rarely take the kids or ourselves into 1 Kings chapter 19. This next picture, it's a picture that hangs in the Tate Gallery. And now we don't have a picture of victory, but we have a picture of Elijah dealing with real struggle. An angel coming and ministering to him. Here's some of the things that Elijah says in 1 Kings 19. Remembering that he has just seen and been part of an amazing spiritual victory. And he says to the angel, and he says to God, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Not the words of a giant the words of an ordinary person who's been thrown into the midst of a spiritual battle, into a difficult scenario. 
and who's seen God at work, but yet who has still been emotionally and physically and spiritually drained as a result. And he has a real sense of isolation. Verse 10, I am the only one left. I'm the only one working in this place. And now the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, they're trying to kill me as well. That's the reality for folks who are on the front line in a place of isolation. In a place where they don't have that community around them to provide them with that support. The reality is, when folks go overseas, they go through a a range of emotions. Let me put a graph up. Let me put the first part of a graph up. Along the x-axis, it's time. So if you start from the left-hand side, this is the the beginning of somebody going, I think God might be calling me overseas. And and at the very right-hand end, there's that sense of we're back home again after it's all period of service is over. Um, up the left-hand side, you've got their mood from sort of neutral in the middle, just sort of that sort of face, from then the, the smiley face above and then the, the, the sad face below. I, I wonder how you would draw that graph. If you were to fill it in, what would it look like? Let me show you what it looks like. It's a roller coaster. A roller coaster of emotions, a roller coaster of, of, of mental emotion, a roller coaster of spiritual emotion. From that, oh, God's calling me to work overseas. How exciting. Where's my knickers to get them over my treasures? To that sense of, gosh, I'm now away from family. I've had to say farewell. To that going excitement of a new culture and the sights and the sounds and the smells, to then suddenly that place where actually. The first couple of weeks, you know, it was fun haggling at the market, but actually, do you know now it's just draining? Until they get to that point at the top where there's what they might call a new normal. And suddenly they're now learning to live and exist in in this new culture. And then when they come home, and whether that's for a short time, just as David and Pam are going to do, or whether it's for 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 the long term, there is then that roller coaster of emotions when you come home again. Saying farewell to your family out there as you make your way home to family here. As you leave work that maybe you sense hasn't been completed. And you begin to make your way home. That's why we need to make sure that we focus and give real consideration to what member care looks like. Because if we send these guys out, we've got to care for them. But we've got to have the understanding of what they might go through. So who's going to do it? Who's going to provide this care? Traditionally, there's been a separation. Over the last 200 years, in a period that that has been known as the, the modern Protestant missionary movement, those who have gone overseas have largely gone out with mission agencies. Very deliberately in terms of, of the picture, it's not that I've, I've got made it skew with. On one side you have the mission agency, on the other side you have the local church. And there's this been huge chasm between them. And, and folks sort of leave the local church, they go to the mission agency. And the mission agency, well sure, they will look after all of their needs. They will assess them and send them out and make sure there's member care packages in place. And yet actually there's an increasing realisation that that picture is wrong. Well, that's not the way it should be. The church and, and whoever the sending body is, and in David and Pam's case and Stephen and Laura's case, that, that's the, the wider Presbyterian church, there's got to be a much closer coming together of congregation and whoever the sending body is. 
because it's not just the mission agency or the mission council that has that responsibility. Now, for those of you who are worrying and think this guy's totally heretical and hasn't really taken us into the Bible reading yet, here's where we go into it. Because in terms of the congregation's role, where do we get our understanding of what the congregation should be doing? Or what the heart should be of the congregation? I've given you the theory about why it's necessary, but what does the Bible actually say about what that looks like? So let me take you to a letter I want to take you to the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. It's a letter that actually as a congregation, if you were here before the summer, you will be well familiar with, because we looked at that in the series uh, Surprised by Joy. But this morning I want to take us to the very tail end of the letter, to chapter 4, found on page 1181 of the Pew Bibles, page 1181. We're going to read from verse 10 all the way through to the end. Because as well as a letter that shows us what it is to be joyful, this whole letter also very clearly says to us, this is what it is to be a local congregation that is involved in global mission. And so I'm just going to take you to the tail end of that momentarily. Verse 10, page 1181. Paul writes... I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Remember, Paul is writing this from a position of isolation. He is the overseas missionary at a distance from this congregation. But he says then, verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you as the church at Philippi to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Finishing there at verse 20. An amazing letter. Let me encourage you to keep that open at at chapter 4. But flick back one page to chapter 1. Because in terms of this question, who is involved in member care? Who's involved in the Philippian church for looking after Paul, who's their missionary at a distance? He writes in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, that's the authors, servants of Christ Jesus. Who's he writing to? To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints. He doesn't write to the minister of First Presbyterian Church Philippi. He doesn't write to the mission committee or the one world group. He doesn't write to the Kirk session. He doesn't write to the congregational committee. He writes to the whole congregation, to all the saints, including 
the overseers, the elders, and the deacons, the congregational committee. And so when he writes a few verses later on in Philippians 1 and verse 4, in all of my prayers for all of you, the all of you is the whole congregation. Every single member of the congregation has a responsibility when it comes to member care. It's not something that was delegated or should be delegated to specialists or those that are interested in that sort of thing. Everybody has a role. The roles will be different. Not everybody will play the same role. Later on in that same verse, he talks about praying with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. And in partnerships, different partners play different roles, have different responsibilities. For too many years, there's been that sense of, well, people leave the congregation and go and work with the mission agency. There's a better picture in place now. Johnny, if you can put the, the next one up. It's a sense of, at the very, begin, at the very center of that circle of, of care, the words there are master care. God is the ultimate caregiver. Elijah recognized it. Paul recognized it in verse 13 of chapter 4 when he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But there are also ever-increasing circles around the, as, with God at the center of that care, there's also a recognition that the missionaries themselves also have to take a responsibility for making sure they're looking after themselves. There's self-care. They need to make, or there's also that recognition though, that the sender, the congregation, has a role to play in that. There's a recognition that the specialist, the mission agency, the mission council, has a role to play. There's a recognition that there's a wider network of those who provide medical care, who provide counselling, who provide all sorts of other inputs, all of whom contribute to the well-being of those folks who are working in isolated, difficult situations. Sometimes when I do this sort of talk or sermon with churches, I'll ask people at the beginning to put their hands up who's involved in, in global mission. And, and a few people do, and they look smug. Yes, we do. We're good. The reality is, if I was to ask that question now, who's involved in global mission? Every single hand should be up. Because Paul writes to all of the saints in Philippi, and as those who send David and Pam and Stephen and Laura and Beth overseas, he would be writing to all of the saints in Kirkpatrick Memorial. But what does it look like? What is it we can actually bring? If, if we only have perhaps one piece of the jigsaw as a congregation, recognizing that others bring their bits together, what does that actually look like? Johnny, if we can take the next one up. Number of activities, number of tasks, recognizing that this has got to be based on our concern that is driven by God's concern for the world, what are the actual tasks that we, that we can play or that we can participate in, even from here in the pews? None of these are going to be rocket science. I, I would suggest that even before I put these up, most of you could probably come up with them, but let me reaffirm them, therefore. First one is prayer. Prayer. Again, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul's writing from a place of imprisonment. Life doesn't get much more difficult. He's not even just living in his own wee house, you know, where he says, you know, I'm feeling a bit isolated from you guys. But he is, he is writing from a place of imprisonment. 
And yet he's able to say in verse 19, I know that through your prayers. And the work or the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Folks, if, if you feel that, okay, my hand should be up, but it's not at the moment, and you just take, want to take one small step, pray. Alongside the cards, there's the October prayer updates for both the Colters and the, and the McCulloughs. They point us to those things that they want us to pray about for this particular month. If you don't get those regularly, they do come out in, in the, the Kirkpatrick update, monthly update. If you don't get that already, sign up for it with, through, through Jill and you will get those on a regular basis. Prayers count. It's not something that we go, ah, sure, we've prayed, sure, what difference does it make? Paul tells us this makes a difference. When he speaks of his partnership in the gospel, it's the very first point that he makes. So pray. But he also says... In terms of showing me concern, in terms of showing your love for me, you've both given and received. Philippians 4 and verse 18, he speaks of having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. Epaphroditus was a, a short-term mission worker, for want of a better description, that the church at Philippi sent out to, to work alongside Paul, or to be there alongside Paul in his imprisonment. Let me... Uh, let me take off my Kirkpatrick hat for a moment and put on my, 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 my day job hat, which is mission development officer for the denomination. And, and let me thank you as a congregation, because actually you already give. For those of you who give through the United Appeal, the funds that you give to that actually allow David and Pam and Stephen and Laura to be overseas. They don't receive their funding from, from other sources. They receive their funding through, through the central church but which you contribute to as, as part of the wider, the wider denomination. So thank you for that, and I want to acknowledge that. There are those opportunities, I think, in monthly envelopes or, or through other standing orders, direct debits. Speak to Gwen. Gwen would love to point you in the right direction if you don't yet give that way or contribute to their care in that way. But let me also thank you, and this is a thank you on behalf of David and Pam in particular. If we have the next one up, Johnny. Because you don't just give and receive money, you give and receive some really practical stuff. We took out potato crisps. In fact, we took out quite a bit of stuff. We, we brought less cases home than we took out. Um, we took out a Kenwood chef. We took out tons of books. We took out potato crisps. We took out books and dresses for Beth. Tangible signs that actually, you know, we care as a congregation. But the biggest thing, and I touched on this earlier when I, when I spoke of the little notice board that said, Welcome Shirley, Caroline and Mark. The biggest thing that you did as a congregation was that through the Kirk session you gave financially to allow Shirley, Caroline and I to take David and Pam and Beth away from home. And we were able to take them away actually for three nights in total to two different places that took them out of their usual fenced-in compound and allowed them, as the picture shows, to sit on the shore of Lake Malawi in a nice hotel, and I make no excuses for that, to enjoy nice food. For Shirley and Caroline and I, and the reason I'm not in that photograph and Beth isn't in that photograph is that I was just on my way back from the play park at that point. It allowed somebody to just babysit and to allow David and Pam to go, let's tell you about life. But you guys, through your contributions to the mission work of this church and the mission fund of this congregation, allowed that to happen. So you are contributing. So thank you. 
So we can pray, we can give, and we can receive. When David and Pam come home very shortly, we also want to make sure that we're receiving from them. We want to hear what they have to say to us. It's very easy to think, hey, we've got the answers and we know it all. But we want to make sure that we're giving them the opportunity to give to us and to speak into our lives. Communication, giving and receiving goes, goes two ways. There will be opportunities. The, we met with, with some folks from the One World Group last week. There will be an opportunity for folks to help with us. David and Pam are coming home, as I've said, in December. They're going to be living in a house up the, um, off the Gildenhurk Road. That house will need to have food in the freezer. It'll need to have food in the fridge. They may need other bits and pieces in terms of clothing for Beth. They may need small bicycles for Beth. They may need stuff for themselves. We're going to be working at that. Opportunities for us to be able to give in real tangible ways. We pray, we give and receive, but we also communicate. I've touched on this one already. In that communication, we've got to work at it better, I'll be honest. We've got to do this better. We've got to make sure that we're writing David and Pam and Stephen and Laura more often. Fill in the cards. Get your kids to fill in the cards so they can read something to Beth from the children in this place. We've also got to make sure we're hearing from them more often. We've got to see their faces up on that screen. Because the reality is, is out of sight is out of mind. And if we're not making those connections on a regular basis, then it's easy to forget It's easy to drift. Communication has to be worked at. Let's work at it. And lastly, in terms of the tasks, yes, we can pray. Yes, we can give and receive. Yes, we can work at our communication, but we can also continue to send and or go. When we send people overseas, so often we have this sense, particularly for short term, that they've got to do something, that they've got to build a school or paint a toilet block for the sixth time that summer, or all sorts of other lists of things you can do. What I love about Paul's letter to the Philippians, he said, thank you for sending me Epaphroditus. Why? Because he was there in chapter 2, verse 25, to take care of my needs. There was some talk earlier this year of a team going out to do some building work in Candy, the, the campsite that I showed you earlier. That didn't work out, and I'm actually really pleased it didn't work out. And the reason for that is that it actually allowed us simply to go and to spend time with David and Pam, and not to do stuff, and not to come home with it with a list of, here's all the things we achieved. That's why these guys, along with me, went and just spent time. Because the heart of the session here was to say to David and Pam, we simply want to take care of your needs. But for us to know what your needs are, we need to actually send somebody to visit you. We need to see where you're living. We need to hear your story firsthand. We need somebody to see the sights, smell the smells, feel the frustrations, and enjoy the really good stuff that's going on as well. It's a list that I suspect, if we can have the list up, Johnny. It's a list that I suspect most of you would have come up with. When we think of mission, those are the things that we do. We pray, we give and receive, we communicate, we send and we go. But again, what those do is they reflect our task-oriented society. Let's do these things. The reality, though, and I touched on this earlier, 
is if we see these simply as a list of things to do, then we delegate them to somebody who can maybe do them better than us. Or if we see them as a list of things to do, then they just get added on to the bigger list of things that we've got to do locally and and they drop down the list. It's not a new phenomenon. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says in verse 15, As you Philippians know, when I set out from Macedonia, when I went out on my overseas mission trip, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Even in the New Testament, churches were going, see this overseas stuff, that's nothing to do with us. We'll forget about those people that we've sent out. And Paul says, no, I want to commend you as a church in Philippi because you haven't forgotten the bigger work of God's global mission. So how do we do it? I've said what we do, but how, and I don't mean how in terms of the practicalities of, of writing cards. I, I mean how in terms of what is our approach, what is our heart got to be? I want to come back to that sense of global concern. What is our concern? What is our heart for this? And our first approach, our first mindset has got to be very simply that we haven't got it right. And, and what I love about Paul's letter to the Philippians is even though he boosts somebody, he says, I, every time I remember you, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel because of your prayer, because of your giving, because of your sending, because of your receiving. Guys, you are amazing. He said, but I also want you to remember, chapter 1 and verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're good, but you're not perfect. And so we need to come to this with an attitude of, you know, we do some things well here in terms of our support of global mission, but we're still a work in progress. And we need to come prayerfully saying, God, would you show us what is it you're wanting us or you're wanting to do in us and through us as a congregation in order that we might become more Christ-like, that we might be more in tune with what you're doing in your world, that we might be truly commissioned to care. As I finish, let me rattle through just a few verses from that passage we read in Philippians 4. Again, their their heart attitudes, their how we approach this, or they they help us to focus on how we should approach. Again, here's this word concern, verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in, in the Lord that you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned. Individually and collectively, corporately, we've got to ask ourselves that question. Do we have a heart of concern? Philippians 4 and verse 14. How did the Philippians approach it? How did the Philippians approach their support of Paul? Well, Paul writes, he said, it was good of you guys to share in my troubles. He didn't just say, look, every so often you wrote me a sympathetic letter going, it must be really hard out there. The the church at Philippi engaged with Paul and they got to understand what it was he was doing and what it was like for him in the places that he worked. It wasn't sympathy, it was empathy. We've made a good step forward in that in sending three of us out to actually see where these guys work. But how do we do that better? How do we do it more often? said earlier that sometimes it's about sending and going. Who's sitting here this morning has just got that niggle going, actually, I, I could go and do something similar. David and Pam came up with a whole list of ways that we could send, not big teams, but twos, threes, fours, to address very specific aspects of their work, to share in their troubles. If you're getting that niggle, talk to me, talk to Gareth, talk to John Martin.
Dr. Christoph. What's our approach? Can't be in one off, it's got to be consistent. Verse 16 You sent me aid not as a one off gift, but you sent me aid again and again and again. A consistency in approach. And what was lovely about Paul's letter to the Philippians, he then goes on and said, it wasn't just a regular small gift, but he says, I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And again, let me say to, to the folks here and to the, the session who funded it, we were amply supplied in terms of the finances we were provided with to be able to lavish blessing upon David and Pam, and they were grateful for that. But let's keep doing it. Let's not just tick the box and say we've got the t-shirt. Why care? Let me go full circle. Why? Well, it's because we've got these guys overseas. That it's at its simplest. How do we do it? What do we do? I've talked about. But let me finish with these words. Because this is the ultimate reason why we do it. This is the reason that we work out what it is we have to do and the reason that we ask God to change our attitudes about how we do it. And Paul says at the end of his letter, he says the reason that we want all this to happen and the reason I'm giving thanks is that it's to our God and Father that the glory is given forever and ever. Philip, or Christoph and I hadn't spoken particularly about what was coming up in the service. I, I had got a copy of the order of service, but it was only when we were sitting there earlier or standing singing did the hymn come up with the refrain, glorify your name? Glorify your name. Where? In all the earth. It's what Paul says to the church at Philippi, to our God and Father, may your name be glorified in all the earth forever and ever. Amen. We want to pray. But we're going to pray using the words of a hymn. Christoph spoke earlier of the writing saying that, you know, sometimes we pray more often than we think. We want to pray again using the words of a, of a praise item. So if the guys come up and, and get themselves ready. It captures what Paul has said. It captures our denominational theme. It captures what I hope I've shared this morning is that very simply we've got to be filled with concern. We've got to be filled with compassion for all the people who live on the earth. But as the refrain goes in this, it's not just enough to be filled with compassion. Lord, would you stir us to action?